Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of all goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some point, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power and of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now, I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You can tell from the tone that Paul is ending his letter. He's winding down. In fact, with the verse 13 right before our reading for today, for all practical purposes, Paul concluded his teaching in the book of Romans. He has explained the gospel thoroughly, logically, chronologically. He has explained how the Spirit of God begins in our lives when we're pagans serving ourselves and taking us all the way through to the abundant life that is Spirit-filled. And then he has explained in practical terms how that looks in a variety of circumstances of life. And now... Having said all of that, he's come to the end of his letter and he has no more to write. 
Paul says an interesting thing in verse 14 about the Romans. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But what he says makes one wonder, why did he write Romans? He says, all of you are full of goodness, you're all full of knowledge, and you're able to admonish each other. In other words, he almost says, you don't need me. But he wrote them anyway. Well, he had never been there. It was a church that although he knew a number of people, he had never been to the entire congregation. There were some issues in Rome that were very much on Paul's mind because he is in the process of taking a Gentile offering back to Jerusalem for the famine and the need that is in Jerusalem and the whole issue of Jews and Gentiles coming together in the body of Christ is on his mind. So some of those things are there. I think Paul wrote Romans for us. He went around preaching the gospel and teaching, and this is the only place that he put down the whole message in logical, chronological, consistent format. He explains to us in Romans the full teaching of the gospel from start to finish. And if you understand Romans, You at least have a rational understanding of all of the Christian life. Now, many of us who feel that we have a handle on Romans, rationally are still working through the process of having that built practically into our lives. But at least in Romans, we have the whole gospel. The full gospel. In all of its depth. And as I said at the beginning, many people have said Romans is the crowning jewel of the Bible in all the books. And perhaps chapter 8 is the sparkling diamond on that crowning ring, that jewel that encompasses all the Scripture. But Romans holds that marvelous place of being a great collection of all that's true in Christ for our lives. But having said that, Paul then says an interesting thing to the church at Rome that I think he should be able to say to every church. And this is what he says. Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. In other words, Paul says, as a church family, you have all you need to grow in Christ. Let's look at those three components that he describes them by. He says, you're full of goodness. You have all goodness. What is goodness? It is the capacity to express and communicate God's kind favor one to another. Goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is the capacity to communicate kindness, genuine benevolence, wanting the best for you, protecting you. You know, it's kind of a lot of things wrapped up in one. It's the I've got your back mentality. I'm watching out for you. I'm covering for you. It's the love that covers even the multitude of sin. 
It's the love that embraces one another and wants each other to succeed. It's the love that wants God's favor in your lives. Every congregation should be able to say that they are full of goodness. That they have this kind of kind favor one to another. That we don't cut each other down. That we don't ignore one another. That we don't uh, disregard one another. That we don't um, despise each other in any sense. But that we are committed to one another in love. And then out of that attitude of goodness, Paul says, you are filled with all knowledge. Now, he doesn't mean that in the literal sense. Those of you who are English teachers, you recognize the hyperbole here. It's quite an exaggeration of the truth. They're not filled with all knowledge about everything. I was reading Scientific American last night, and I was drawn to the science book club page where you could get, you know, four books for five bucks or something like that and then be on their hit list for the rest of your life and never be able to get rid of them and I hope you spend hundreds of dollars. Well, anyway, you know how that works. But I was looking at the titles and several of the titles had to do with quantum theory and it occurred to me that probably not very many people in this room could pass even a cursory exam this morning on quantum theory uh, with any kind of meaningful explanation. Neither could the Romans. They didn't know everything. That's not what Paul meant. But what he meant was, you're filled with knowledge from God. You have what you need. Does any man lack wisdom? Let him ask God. Whenever there's a hole in your need-to-know basket, God will... Fill the hole. God will give you what you need. And here's the the beauty of this passage. Sometimes He gives it to someone else for you. So that it's body life. So that we need each other. Sometimes you have what I need. I was uh, looking at a coaching site this week. Our our district is, uh, I think they wanted me to go to a coaching seminar. And uh, it was how to listen carefully and intuitively. You know, so it's active listening kind of thing. So people knew I was paying attention. <laughs> I turned to someone I was working with and I said, do I need this class? And they said, well, you're all right as long as you're awake. <laughs> if you're awake and the lights are on and somebody's really there, then you, you, you listen pretty well. But... Um, you know, we, we, we sometimes have the information that the other person needs because God's put us in a family. And when we talk to one another, pray for one another, we have ways of gaining insight by the Holy Spirit to help each other. Because his third statement is, and you know how to admonish each other. The Greek word behind that is nautheteo. It comes, somebody created a counseling uh, thing that they called nouthetic counseling, or nouthetic if you're not a Greek speaker. And um, they've created this whole counseling plan around nouthetic counseling, which 
has to do with admonishment or encouragement. But basically what Paul means here in the Scripture is, it is counseling, encouragement, exhortation with knowledge that I've watched you, prayed for you, cared about you, listened to you, we've had coffee together, I love you, I've got your back, I'm committed to you, we have a committed relationship in the body of Christ, and I have earned the right to speak into your life, and God is, is giving me words and wisdom to share with you. And you with me. And so we build each other. You know how to admonish one another. You're not talking about slapping one another's hands like the two-year-old reaching for the light socket. He's talking about encouraging, uplifting, building up, helping one another reach the goals. And by the way, in that same coaching thing that I was looking at, the whole game plan of this course was, as a leader working with people in relationships, it said, the difference is you get up and go to work in the morning, the task-oriented leader gets up and says, how can I use people today to get all these jobs done I need to get done? But the relationship-oriented leader who is the coach that's committed to your success, that person goes to work in the morning saying, I have these tasks that need to be done today. How can I incorporate those into building the lives of my people so that they become better at who they are in the process? It may look the same in the output, but the feeling of the environment of that kind of relationship is very different because the commitment is to the person, not to the job. And the job still gets done, but it gets done in a in a different context of building people. If ever there was a place on the planet where that occurred, it should be the church of Jesus Christ. Where there is a job to be done, Christ gave it to us. As you go into all the world, preach the gospel to all the nations, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. That's the mission. But the mission does not supersede the importance of building one another up in the family of God. Paul says you're able to do that. You should be able to do that. So my question is, do we do that very well? Which leads me to point two in verses 15 and 16. But I have written very boldly to you in some point so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul uses the word priest in a very intriguing way in those verses because you know what priests do? They, they go through rituals ministering to God. They take sacrifices. They offer them up to God uh, on behalf of men before God. They're kind of the intermediary representative. Paul says, I'm acting as a priest offering up Gentiles. <laughs> that's, my, that's my role. I'm offering up Gentiles. You know, I don't know what the Gentiles might have thought of that terminology, but he says, this is my mission. God has called me to reach Gentiles and offer them up to Him as a sweet savor of the Gospel of, of Jesus Christ that transforms their lives. My mission is to preach Christ where He has never been named. 
Paul knew what he was about. I wonder if you and I this morning know what we're about. What is your mission? What is your mission? You know, sometimes in my life I get lost in the forest. My message is not about coaching, but it just occurred to me that's another good place for coaches to step in and help you back off and see the forest again. I get lost in the forest. I get focused on the tyranny of the urgent. Things start coming at me from so many directions that I just start putting out fires. I start fielding problems. I start uh, solving issues. Then I get tired and I don't have time to think it through and process it out. And then there are demands and there are other, there are many areas to my life just like there are to yours. I'm a pastor, you know that. I'm also a husband. I have a marriage. I have sons who are grown. And uh, one of them is bringing grandkids around. And I have, my car started smelling like the oil's burning in it, and I'm probably going to have to do something with my car because I, I have practical things in life. I have to, to, to do life, you know, and so all of those things are floating around, but that's not what my life is all about. Those are the things that are in my life, and some of them are relatively important compared to others. My marriage, my relationship with my sons, I hold high above in value all the other things in my life. But the reality is I spend more time in other arenas. So do you. That's part of that that struggle of maintaining balance. Because I don't know anybody that's making a living for the family they love that doesn't spend more time making the living than they spend with their family. It's just a paradox. It's, it's reality. But what's it all about? Why do you do that stuff? What makes it make sense? How does it get integrated into some meaningful vision and commitment? Where are you going? Paul made tents. Paul spent time with friends. Paul... Travel. He got shipwrecked more than once. He got beat up a few times. Travel was tough in those days, especially when you said things people didn't want to hear. He got beat up. He got stoned, left for dead. Paul had all kinds of things going on in his life. What made sense out of all of it? How did it come together for him? Paul said, God has called me to be the ambassador of Christ to Gentiles where he has never been named. That's what I'm about. Everything else feeds into that. That's my life. That's my vision. That's my purpose. Let's, uh, let's go over to Laodicea. Can't do that. Why? There's already a church there. Well, then, why don't we go to this other place? Can't do that. Why? There's already a church there. Well, Paul, where do you want to go? I want to go where there's no church. 
That's what God has called me to do. I want to go where there's no church. He tells the Romans, he says, I've wanted to visit you for a long time. The reason I've never made it is because I had stuff to do east of Rome. And the only reason I'm coming now, much as I like you, is you happen to be smack in the middle of my path to Spain. And I'm really going to Spain. And I want to get to know you folks, and by the way, I hope you'll help me out. He's singular in his focus, you know. <laughs> he says, I love you Romans, but I hope you're, you're going to start socking away a few nickels and dimes, because when I get there, I want you to help me get to Spain. Spain doesn't have a church. Paul knew what his life was about. And friends, every one of us have a mission from God. Every one of us has one. I don't know what yours is. I know when you hear me talk like this, the tendency is to say, yeah, well, you and the Apostle Paul, you know, you're those called people. And, and God only gives certain people those kinds of missions. Everybody else just does whatever they please. Wrong. God has made you and wired you and designed you and He has a purpose for your life. I'm not quoting a Campus Crusade cliche here. God has a purpose for your life. Before He formed you in the womb, He knew you. Before He made Adam, He knew your name. In the tapestry that He's weaving of human history, He knows where your thread lies. He knows when it's supposed to shine through the tapestry and rise to the surface. And He knows when it's burrowing in the background to emerge again with other colors to to complete the image. He has a plan for you. Do you know what it is? Can you be as singularly focused as the Apostle Paul and say, you know what? All this other stuff fits into my life because this is what God wants me to be about. And I want to encourage you to find that out because when I get lost in the woods and I'm just going through the day, you know, I, I feel like the pinball in that, in that pinball machine. And bumpers are, are dinging and lights are flashing and flippers are flapping and I'm just kind of going like this all over the place. You know, and every once in a while, I just have to get out of the box and get the picture again. Why am I in that thing? What what makes sense to me? And I need to say no to this and no to this. I'm not real good at no. One friend of mine challenged me to stand in front of a mirror and practice. No. No. I don't do no very well, but... If I'm going to be on mission, I have to know when to say no. I have to know what's really important. I have to know what I can just ignore. I have to know what to let go. I have to stay focused. And when I lose that perspective, I have to step back and get it. Sometimes it takes a day. Sometimes it takes a week. How many of you have... just? Survey here quickly. How many of you have ever had more than one week of vacation in a row? You've taken two or three or four weeks. Can I see your hands? Okay. 
All right. Now, let me ask you this. Just think a minute. How long did it take you to stop anticipating the phone, to stop thinking about what you is going on at work, to stop worrying about the daily grind, and to feel like you were really away? Honey would say more than a week. How many can do that in 24 hours? I want I want your secret. I want your secret. Can we meet afterwards? I need some information. <laughs> it takes me about 10 days. It takes me about 10 days before I can feel like that. And I can just go... <sighs> I have to really get away. And the deeper I am covered with the tyranny of the urgent, the more I need the perspective. Paul knew what he was about, and we need to know what we're about, because it makes a difference in living life on purpose. Paul's boast in Christ, he had a fully invested life that has paid richly in kingdom dividends. Listen to his description. Because of this mission... Beginning in verse 17, he says, Therefore I have found, therefore in Christ I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. I will not presume to think of anything, to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem round about as far as Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where he was already named, that I might not build upon another's foundation, but that I might name him as it is written, he who had no news of him they shall see, and he who has not heard they shall understand. He said, this is why I was often hindered in coming to you. Paul's mission kept him on track, and gave him focus. Now, I don't know what kinds of turmoil has come into your life, but Paul talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about being stoned and left for dead. He talks about being beaten up in in many cities. He talks about going without food in famine and hunger. He talks about emotional pressure that he could only describe in Corinthians as being oppressed and distressed to the point of disparaging even of life. Now, that's pressure. And Paul was there, and and his body has shown the bruises. And I want to ask you, what is it that keeps you going after a lifetime of this? You know, one of the things that I want to do is I want to finish well. I want to come to the end of the journey and hear Jesus say to me, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. I want to finish well. And today, in pastoral ministry, there's not a good track record. Most people burn out, quit, do something else long before the end. By the time they reach their 50s, most seminary graduates, most seminary graduates are not in 
ministry. They're doing something else with their life. I want to finish well. So here's Paul in the shipwreck hanging on to a broken, splintered piece of wood trying to keep his head out of the water. And he's been at this about 25 years now. And he's out there in the cold, in the water, hanging on to this piece of wood from the ship that has been destroyed. What is it that keeps Paul, when he's cold and tired and old and arthritic and frustrated and worn out, what enables him to suck in another breath, keep his head out of the water, and hang on to that driftwood? His mission. Spain. (laughs) Spain has never heard, I have to get to Spain. I have to get to Spain. What compels you in your life to keep going when the going seems impossible? What determination do you have? What are you living for? What drives you? Paul said, I have to get to Spain. That's my mission. That's the next place that's never heard. I will Hang on by the grace of God. I will tough it out. It is vision and mission from God that enables you to keep focus in life and weather the storms. You know, Paul was serving Jesus Christ. And in the process of serving Christ, he had an amazing thing happen. At one point in his life, he was apparently transported into the heavenly realm. Can you imagine that? God said, Paul, I have such important things for you to do that I want you to get a clear picture of what this is all about. So, come on up here with me for a minute. Whoa. He's up there in in glory. He's he's getting this bird's eye view of the whole whole thing. And um, next thing that Paul knows, he's back in his room. It's like, man. I've seen glory. And then he wakes up the next day and something's bugging him. Something hurts. It's out of whack. It doesn't feel good. And it gets worse. And it's starting to be ugly and painful and aggravating and distressing. And and Paul says, God, get rid of this thing. I, I got this thorn in my flesh. I need... I need some relief. And God says, no. And Paul says, again, God, you know, this is getting really tough. I don't think this happened three times in one morning, okay? I, I think Paul said, you know, you know you, just live there. Put it in real life. You've been there. I think Paul said, okay. But then after another week or a month, it was like, God, come on, really? I mean, this is really annoying. This is dragging me down. It's slowing me down. It hurts. It's bothersome. This is not helpful. Please take this thing out of my life. No. So Paul says, okay. And he goes on another month or so. 
man, I don't know what was going on with Paul. Some say it was his eyes. I don't know what it was. Something, some, it actually was a demonic spirit that was inflicting his physical body. Go figure that one out. Because the scripture says, an angelos de diablos, an angel from the devil, which has all kind of ramifications. And so Paul, a third time, goes to God and says, Look, you called me to do this stuff. Okay, This is holding me down. This is creating a problem in my life. It's painful. And God says to him, You know what, Paul? You've seen amazing things. You have an amazing mind. You're a brilliant person. And now I've let you see glory. And, and you know what? I know you, Paul. And I know that if I just cut you loose, you're going to be your own worst enemy. So I tell you what, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to leave this thorn here. But I'm going to be with you. And the weaker you are, the stronger and more powerful I will be. So what do you want, Paul? You want to feel good and and uh, do it on your own and have no spiritual power? Or, or do you want to depend on me in your weakness and let me work through you in my power? And about that time, Paul said, hey, you know what? I did not sign up for this. You know, I was doing fine on the road to Damascus. And you interrupted my life with this crazy scheme of yours. And I don't need this stuff. I mean, what kind of loving God would do this to me? How many people do you know react that way? How many people do you know? But Paul said, you know what? I was on this road to Damascus that led to hell. And you intervened in my life. You gave me light. You made. You gave me cause. You gave me purpose. You gave me vision. You gave me meaning. And if and if you want to give me a thorn in my flesh, so I'll lean on you. I tell you what, I'm going to do. I will glory in my weakness. I will shout for joy because I'm in pain. I will rejoice in God because I'm weak. I will give God glory because I, I'm, I just don't have strength and power. I, because I know, God, that if you will come through me until my last breath, I will serve you and behold your glory. I'm living for you. You know, the, the, the thing that enables a person like the Apostle Paul to do that is to have a mission from God, a vision to know what his life's about and to be living it completely sold out no matter what the price. And then you can keep going. You can finish the course. You can run to the end. I have some more things to say, but we're kind of out of time. Paul uh, Paul ends with this interesting prayer, though. He says, pray for me. I'm on my way to Rome. And everywhere I've gone, remember this from the book of Acts, everywhere I've gone, People have said, they're going to tie you up, Paul. They're going to arrest you, Paul. They're going to put you in jail, Paul. They're going to, they may kill you, Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a bad place for you to be. 
and Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and, and the prophets are saying, don't go to Jerusalem, and the church in, in Ephesus, the elders are just bawling their eyes out on the beach, don't go to Jerusalem, this may be the last time we ever see you, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. So he says to the Romans, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, pray for me. Okay, and, and what does it sound like Paul wants from the prayer? People that have it in for me will be nice to me, that I'll have a good reception with the church in Jerusalem, and that I'll get on my way to Spain pretty quickly. And so that's his prayer request. And Paul gets to Jerusalem, and what happens? He gets arrested. They tie him up. They put him in jail. They try to kill him. He spends two years in jail. He can't get a fair trial. He finally appears to Caesar. He's heading to, guess where, Rome. On the way to Rome, he gets shipwrecked. He spends another several years in Rome in house arrest. Spain is a long way off. I have a question for you. Was Paul out of the will of God to go to Jerusalem? I mean, everybody in Acts told him, don't go. I mean, did he just blow by all the signposts? Was he just being stubborn? Not, not our Apostle Paul, right? No, our Apostle Paul was perfectly capable of being stubborn. That was on his hard drive. I don't know that he was in this case, but he certainly exhibited those traits. By the way, the good side of stubborn is tenacious. You don't let go of that driftwood. But anyway, was he out of the will of God to go to Jerusalem? People have written whole books on that subject, and you know what? You're never going to solve it biblically. You're never going to solve it. But here's what I can tell you. If your life is wholly committed to God, sometimes you may get your wires crossed. And you you may think God is in something because that's what you want. Sometimes that can happen to you. You know, I, I know it must be the will of God because it seems so right to me. Ever been there? And you just go for it. And you get in a mess. And you start scratching your head and say, how come I'm in this mess? If you're sold out to God, that can happen to you. That can still happen. Here's another thing that can happen to you. Our Western mentality doesn't make room much for this, but here's another thing that can happen. You can be smack dab in the will of God and it all goes to disaster. I mean, you can be right where you're supposed to be. And it all falls apart. He could have been right in the will of God. I mean, we have prison letters. Galatians, uh, not Galatians, but Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. that came out of his prison time. We might not have had those letters. I don't know. But sometimes you can be right in the will of God and and it just all falls apart. Do not make the mistake of thinking that that wide open doors without resistance are proof of the will of God. In fact, it may be proof that you're out of the will of God because if you have no opposition in your life, when Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation, if they hated me, they're going to hate you and the devil hates you. If you've got no opposition, man, it's green lights all the way and clear track. That's when you really better ask the question, am I on the right path? Because it's going a little too well. I don't mean to make you paranoid here this morning, but 
You know, if you're headed off in a direction and it's easy street, it's like, eh, I better rethink that. Because you are going to receive opposition if you're walking in the ways of Jesus Christ. So you could have, Paul could have gone to Jerusalem because he missed the signals and, and went contrary to the will of God. Paul could have gone to Jerusalem exactly where God wanted him and gotten a mess. And all of that stuff in the book of Acts was just the sentimental heart of people that didn't want it to happen to him. You know, Amy Carmichael, a powerful little book called If. Amy Carmichael wrote one of her pithy sayings, If. She says, If I see someone on the path to the cross, that is to die to self, and I intervene to make it easy for them, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Because before you will really blossom, you must die to self. And if you intervene in a person's crucifixion of self, you may in fact only be prolonging their agony and short-circuiting the purposes of God. So maybe they were just sentimentally trying to keep Paul and he was supposed to be there. But this is what I do know. Let me go back to the first beginning premise. This is what I do know. If you're sold out to God, and I've counted on this all my life, if you're sold out to God and you want to do His will more than anything else, you will get to Rome. And you will go to Spain. You may go through Jerusalem. You may go some other route. But if you want the will of God in your life, and that's truly your goal, you will get to Spain. He'll take you there. And He'll take you there in a way that will not only accomplish the task, but it will build your life in the character of Jesus in the process. Because God is still more interested in you than in what you do. Do you hear me? Don't don't lose that one. God loves you. He is still more interested in you than in what you do. Father, bless your word to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.